And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Thank you. Well, I had a little while ago a chance to say uh, thank you to uh, some folk who gathered at uh, Southside to welcome um, Philippa and myself and the family. And I'd just like to take this opportunity, if I may, to say a huge thank you uh, to you all uh, for the way that you have uh, welcomed us. Philippa and I and the family feel hugely uh, uh, warmly welcomed. Thank you for the way that you've welcomed us personally. Uh, your personal introductions have been uh, very warm and have made us feel very quickly at home. And I'm very much looking forward over the weeks and months and years to come. Uh, to get to know you uh, better. Thank you for the way you've welcomed us practically. Uh, lots of folk have made our transition from Kent uh, to Oxford very straightforward for us. Lots of people have worked very hard on your behalf, I know, uh, getting the house ready and all sorts of other things, all sorts of other details that need to be taken care of. So thank you um, for that. And thank you, I said uh, in Southside, particularly thank you for the way that you've welcomed us so prayerfully. Uh, I was aware that you had uh, sort of a 24-hour prayer chain going uh, during the sort of appointment process, I think, over the interviews or, or the decision-making process. I, I realize um, that the whole thing has been bathed in prayer, and that is hugely encouraging for us as we've uh, made this move to know that it's been uh, bathed in prayer. So uh, a huge uh, thank you to you for that. We're in Matthew 6, uh, page 970. It'll be a great help to me, and I think to you, if you turn to it, if you've closed it, if you're using uh, the church Bibles, then page 970 will get you back uh, to Matthew 6 uh, and the Lord's Prayer. As we come to the Lord's Word together as his people, expecting to hear him speak, let's pray. Say, Heavenly Father, as we gather as your children at the start of this series on prayer, we pray simply this, that in the weeks and the months ahead, you would teach us how to pray. Amen. Well, it's been well said uh, that if you want to embarrass a Christian... Simply ask them about their prayer life. And if you're anything like me, that sentence will resonate with you. I find prayer hard. I find it quite often a battle to quieten the mind, to put the concerns and the pressures and the hassles of the day to one side and to pray. Sure, I can send up, I can send up bullet prayers like the best of them. Lord, please help me get through this. Please help me pass this exam. Please help me find a parking space. But when it comes to the kind of concerted, 
heartfelt, sincere, soul-bearing, life-enriching, relationship-developing prayer that we see modeled by the Lord Jesus and others. I find it hard. I wonder if you do too. Anything is easier than prayer. Have you ever experienced that? And when I asked myself why, as I was thinking about this, three things came to mind, three issues came to mind. Why I think it is that I find prayer difficult. The first surrounded issues of dependence. Isn't it true that prayer, more than anything else, is an admission? It's an admission that we need God's help in life, that we depend on him. Doesn't prayer, unlike anything else, confront and challenge our autonomy? It reminds us, doesn't it, that we are not as in control as we'd like to think that we are. We're not the boss. Prayer puts us in our place and is therefore profoundly humbling. And even as Christians, I think that can still cut against the grain a little bit of our sinful natures. Issues of dependence, issues of doubt. Sometimes we can doubt, can't we, that prayer actually achieves anything, that it's time well spent. I came across this illustration that made the point very well. He said, um, picture a deserted little town in a Clint Eastwood Western. A monk is standing in front of a dusty church. He's wearing a coarse brown robe with a sort of rope around his waist. His hands are clasped prayerfully together, and he looks meek and fragile and undernourished. Use your imaginations. In front of him, Clint, on horseback, poncho, tilted hat. The monk asks in that sort of cod South American Spanish, which I'm not going to imitate, Lord, uh, sorry, let me help you get the bad guys. And Clint replies, no, it's dangerous, and you can't fight. But I want to help, says the monk, to which Clint contemptuously replies, well, I guess you could always pray. And he gallops off to where the action is. Isn't that sometimes our view of prayer? Many people's view of prayer, that it's ineffectual. It's what delicate people do when those who get the job done are out there getting the job done. It's a waste of time. The way to really deal with our problems and the issues and the worries that preoccupies us is to do something about it, not to waste time in prayer. Issues of uh, dependence, issues of doubt, thirdly, issues of distraction. Distractions of the daily life make prayer difficult, don't they? Finding it time to carve out, uh, sorry, finding it difficult to carve out time to pray can be difficult. Mums uh, juggling children, the commute, uh, the hassles of daily life make it difficult. Is lack of prayer a bad thing? Should we be concerned? Well, if you know anything about the God of the Bible, you will know that he is a personal God who desires personal relationships. And you will know, too, that being made in his image, we are personal creatures created precisely for that personal relationship with our creator God. It is that relationship and that relationship alone that will truly satisfy us, truly meet our needs, make us fully and truly human. And if you know anything about personal relationships, you will know that they are built on Communication. Isn't it true to say that communication is the true barometer of any relationship? Prayer deepens our relationship with God. It also, as we'll see, I hope, it is the means by which we draw on all that God stands ready to give us. Prayer acknowledges God as the ultimate provider and is the means by which we avail ourselves of that which we need. Prayer can be difficult, but it is precious, it is life giving. It is part of what we were created for. And my guess is that most of us here know that, and most of us here this evening long 
to be better prayers. Tonight we start a series on prayer, as Andrew said. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at several of the prayers in the New Testament. And I hope that we'll see in the weeks and months to come something of the centrality of prayer in the New Testament and why it is so central, its necessity and its power. And I hope we'll be able to, in the weeks and months that we have together, be able to ask ourselves, how does my view of prayer align with the view that we find in the New Testament? And, and how do my prayers themselves, what I'm actually praying for, align with the prayers of uh, the New Testament? It'll be a chance, I hope, for the Bible, for the Lord to address us and for his friends to encourage one another as we pray. A chance for the Bible and uh, one another to challenge and correct uh, views of prayer that are faulty. A chance to change our prayer lives for the better. And tonight we start with the most famous prayer of all, the Lord's Prayer. No better person to learn about the nature of prayer from than the Lord Jesus, the Son of God who has been talking with his Father for all eternity. And so we begin in verse 9. Do look down. Verse 9. Jesus says, this then, this then is how you should pray. Note first, he doesn't say this is what you should pray. He says this is how you should pray. In other words, Jesus is teaching us here what kind of prayer with what kind of priorities we should approach God. So he's not giving us, is he? He's not giving us a mantra, just say these words. He's not giving us a sort of a, a magical incantation, a set of words that somehow unlocks the door to God. No, he's giving us a model, isn't he? He's giving us the shape, the dynamic of authentic Christian prayer. And this evening, we'll only have a chance to look at that shape, the dynamic. We may not get to the second, uh, certainly to the second triplet of, of um, petitions, although much of that material I hope we'll, we'll cover in uh, sermons to come. But I hope tonight we'll get some sense of the shape of the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's priorities for us. And you'll notice that like all communication, its shape, its nature, its content is derived from and it is governed by the relationship between the person speaking and the person listening. We speak to different people in different ways, do we not? The way that we speak to our children will be different to the way that we speak to our aunts, which will be different to the way that we speak to our boss, which will be different to the way that we speak uh, to our doctor. And what we speak about is different, depending on who we speak to. What you speak about to your boss, I take it is different to what you speak about to your doctor. At least I <laughs> I trust that it is. You're a very forgiving boss if it isn't. If we're going to be motivated to pray, if we're going to pray right, if we're going to pray with the right priorities and concerns, then we need, says Jesus, to know who it is that we're talking to. And in the first four words of the prayer, he tells us, Our Father in heaven. Friends, prayer begins and it flows from and is shaped and it is governed by the truth that our creator God is also our caring Father. To the extent to which we know God as Father, that is the extent to which we'll pray, and we'll pray right. You'll know that the word translated Father there is the word Abba. It was the word a child used when addressing their father. It is a word that is incredibly intimate. Because of the reconciling work of the Lord Jesus, we have been adopted into God's family. And the extraordinary truth is that Almighty God is now our Heavenly Father. We relate 
to the creator God, the sustainer God, in a way, says Jesus, that is akin to the way a little child relates to their loving father. It is that fact more than any other that establishes the nature of Christian prayer. By starting with the fatherhood of God, as one preacher put it, Jesus takes prayer out of the realm of religion where it does not belong and he puts it into the realm of family where it does belong. In other words, prayer is not a religious thing. It is a relational thing. It is a deeply personal thing. Now don't mishear me. That doesn't mean that Jesus is saying we should never pray corporately or we should never pray in public, but it does affect the way that we pray when we pray in private, when we pray corporately, when we pray in public. So says Jesus, did you notice in the first few verses of our reading this evening, when you pray, don't pray in an impersonal way. Don't pray like the religious hypocrites who pray not to God, but to an audience. Who pray not so much as to be heard by their father, but to be seen by their peers. Don't pray like that. And when you pray, verse seven, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, that is to say, people of other religions, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Such prayer reflects the religious view of God, that he is cold and critical, like a stern schoolmaster, impressed only by the length of the composition and the accuracy of the grammar. He only wants to hear certain particular set compositions. Who's more interested in a good performance than in emotional engagement? Don't be like them, verse 8, Jesus says. God is not a stern schoolmaster who needs to be impressed before he'll give us what we need. He is a father to forgiven sinners, whose love is unconditional and whose nature is to be generous. God is not distant. He's close. He's leaning in. He delights in us. He's not disinterested as if he needs bombarding. He's attentive hanging on our every word. So let's pray in a way that reflects our father-child relationship with God. Let's pray in a way that is sincere and heartfelt and honest and open. Set forms of prayer are good and right and have their place. Jesus is not telling us not to pray set prayers. But I think he is saying, be wary of disconnecting your mouth from your mind when you pray. Be wary of disconnecting your mouth from your mind and your heart. They must come together in prayer. Wouldn't it be a good thing if over the next few months we encourage one another in our friendship groups, in our fellowship groups, in our prayer lives? If we swap tips on those uh, sort of uh, methods that we have that work for us as we carve out time to come to our Heavenly Father... Uh, can, uh, is a text messaging a valid way for a child to communicate with their parents? Well, yeah, it's great, and it's a good sign of relationship, isn't it, when, uh, when children text their parents. But is text messaging sufficient to maintain, to develop a relationship between children and their parents? I think we'd all agree that it isn't, is it? You need sometimes to make good time to sit down with your father and to talk. So let's encourage one another to, to find ways when we can carve out good time to spend with our Father, deepening our relationship, knowing we come to him as a child to a Father. He longs to hear us, so let's make time to speak. 
God is our Father, but not simply our Father. He's also our King, and that too has a profound effect on the nature of prayer. Uh, the Duke of Edinburgh, uh, Philip, uh, celebrated his 90th uh, birthday this year, and to celebrate that, uh, the BBC commissioned a sort of documentary about his life and an interview between him and Fiona Bruce. Just out of interest, did anybody see that interview? Oh, good, a few hands. This illustration will work. I was, I was worried. Great, uh, a few hands. It, the people who saw it will be able to testify to the fact that he was not the easiest uh, interviewee in the world. He was, anyway, Fiona Bruce did very well. But as he spoke about the nature of his life, what struck me was the extent to which his life had been changed when his young wife, Elizabeth, became sort of unexpectedly early Queen Elizabeth II. And he found himself now no longer simply her loving spouse, but also now her loyal subject. So the documentary showed this amazing uh, clip of the Queen's coronation, and there was Philip kneeling before his young wife, um, pledging his loyalty to her as his newly crowned sovereign. And at that point, his life, in a sense, ended, and a new life began. So he had to give up his life in the Navy, a very enjoyable a career he was very good at. He had to give up his life in the Navy to spend the rest of his life, in many respects, sort of walking ten paces behind the Queen. And she now sets the agenda, and part of his duty is to sort of help her implement that agenda as sovereign of the state. That was his duty, but it was also his joy. There was no sense of it being a dry duty. It was his joy because there was this great bond of love between them, and because he knew that was the nature of being both her spouse and her subject. Well, do you see, the dynamic of the Christian life here is very similar to the dynamic of Philip's life. God is both our loving Father and also at the same time, do you see, our sovereign King. God is both, uh, sorry, so we are both his uh, children and his subjects. And the Lord's Prayer reflects that dynamic. There are six things you'll have noticed that we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. They're split into two triplets of requests. And it's very striking, isn't it, that the first triplet, in other words, says, Jesus, where you should start in prayer, the priority of prayer, is not so much about the meeting of our needs. That's the second triplet. But it is about the accomplishing of God's agenda as the world's rightful king. In fact, the first triplet is all about asking God to help us make his agenda as our king, our agenda as his subjects. It's about making his plan for the world our plan for our lives. It's about making his will our desire. Do you see that when you pray, says Jesus, pray this. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We live in a rebellious world. We live in a world in which God's name, which is to say his character, his very, his very self, is not hallowed, it's not honored, it's not revered. God is not worshipped as God. He is a swear word to be slung around. His kingdom has been usurped. His kingdom of truth and light and freedom and life has been replaced by one of lies and darkness and slavery to self and sin and death. And his good and his loving and his perfect will is resisted and it is ridiculed. But God is gracious. He has not turned his back on his rebellious world. His agenda is to reestablish his good name, his good kingdom and his good will. And he's doing it in the present, not by executing judgment on rebels, but by 
adopting rebels back into his family by creating communities of people who model and experience kingdom life, truth and light and the freedom to battle sin and serve God and to experience God's life in all its fullness. He's doing it by transforming stubborn hearts by his spirit and making them submissive to his good and perfect will. Do you see this prayer is a prayer for that to be our agenda also. So these words have both an internal and an external focus. When we pray these words, we are praying for that work in us as one-time rebels to continue and to deepen. We're asking God to help us implement his agenda for us. That we would hallow his name in our lives. That we would make the most important person in the universe the most important person in our lives that we would demonstrate in our priorities, in our planning, in our living and in our speaking, a respect for the character and the purposes of our God as our King. We're praying for his help in establishing his kingdom in us and in our church community. We are praying that we would become individually and corporately people of truth, uh, people of light, that we would be opposers of sin, and livers of God's new life and not our old one. We're praying that we would be a people where God's will is our purpose and our delight. And we're also asking God to help us, aren't we, advance that agenda outside these walls. How is it that God is at work growing his kingdom, reaching rebels? It is through the witness, isn't it, both spoken and enacted of his family, of his church, to the goodness of God and his liberating rule. As individuals and as a church, we are called to be both adverts and ambassadors of God's kingdom. And so when we pray this prayer, we are praying for our lips to speak of God as our rightful king and the offer of adoption into his family that is to be found in the Lord Jesus. And we are praying that we might live lives that illuminate the gospel and make it attractive, both as individuals and as a new kingdom community. That's what we're praying for when we pray these prayers. So these are requests for God to do a great work in here and in these four walls so that we can do a great work out there. I want us to stop as we uh, come to to it towards the close and think about this. Doesn't this, uh, this first triplet uh, turn our priorities on their head? Isn't it the case that so often prayer is about getting God to fulfill our agenda? We come to God with an agenda and we ask him to fulfill it, to make it happen. Isn't it the case if we're thinking like me, so often my prayers are shopping list prayers. Dad, please please can I have, Uh, please can you help, please can you take away, please can you do. Now don't mishear me, God is our loving Father, he tells us to pray for our daily needs and concerns, in fact Jesus will turn to that in a minute with the second triplet of petitions. He loves to hear us, he longs to answer our prayer, delights him. But there's a correction here, isn't there? 
We need to be wary, I think, of viewing God like some cosmic Jim will fix it that you go to. God, please fix it for me. Dot, dot, dot. Jesus teaches us that God is our Father, but he's also our King. And our first priority in prayer is not so much about getting God to do what we want him to do in any given situation, but it's about asking him to so work in me, to so work in us, to change me, to change us, so that we increasingly want to do what he wants that we increasingly want for us what he wants for us, that we increasingly want for the outside world what he wants for the outside world, to make his priorities our priorities, to desire in any and every given situation that his name is hallowed, that his kingdom comes, that his will is done. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of that great suffering as he prays before going to the cross? Not my will, but yours be done. In this situation, that was his first priority, his first concern. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. That's our older sibling in the family teaching us how to pray. Friends, that will take a great work of God. <laughs> because we're praying for death, aren't we? We're praying to die when we pray that first triplet. And uh, that is not a natural thing to want, death. We're praying for death to self so that we might live for God. And it is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life that such death to self is the road to true life, life in all its fullness. As we lay down our lives in service to God and his agenda, we will experience God's kingdom advancing in our lives, in our church, in our community, in our world. And we will experience life in all its fullness. We have uh, no time to look at the second triplet, as I assumed would be the case, where Jesus looks uh, and tells us to pray for the meeting of our physical needs. Uh, he prays for physical provision, our spiritual pardon, our moral protection. But much of that will cover, I'm sure, in the sermons to come. Let us conclude. Let us uh, commit uh, to leaving this place uh, committed to engaging with God and to seeking his face afresh in prayer, to discovering afresh or deepening our understanding of God as Father so that we might pray right, open and heartfelt and sincere, speak to God as a child speaks to their loving Father. Let us leave confident that he is our Father who longs to give us good things and our King whose agenda is perfect freedom and in whose service is life. Friends, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that we've, uh, we've looked at this evening, which your son spoke while he was among us here on earth. Father, we confess we so easily make the Christian life, even prayer, a burden. We so often think of you wrongly and lay upon ourselves routines and rules that miss the heart of relating to you as Father. Help us, uh, help us to grow in our, in our understanding of you as Father. Help us to know you as Father. Help us to relate to you as Father. And be as anxious to talk to you and as delighted to spend time in your company as a child is to spend time in the company of their loving Father. Help us also to relate to you as King. Help us to be loyal subjects. Help us to put your agenda first. Help us in any and every situation 
to seek the honor of your name, the furtherance of your great kingdom, and the submission and the doing of your perfect and loving will. Father, encourage us in the weeks to come in our prayer lives. Change us, challenge us, help us to be those who are people of prayer that we might experience all that you have for us, individually, corporately. And we pray these things in the name of your great Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.